in a moment, we're going to uh, project something on the wall. I want you to uh, look at it and quickly try to discern in your mind what it's saying. Okay? All right. Put it up, Chris. All right. How many of you see God is now here? Hands up. How many see God is nowhere? Hands up. <laughs> wow. You know, isn't that crazy? How people can look at the same things and see things so differently. Now, I've used this grouping of letters for years. I, I saw it in a book probably 35, 40 years ago. And use it to illustrate how some people can look at nature and see God everywhere, while others can see him nowhere. You know, we all look at the same things in nature, but some have been led to believe that everything can be explained apart from God by natural evolutionary processes and are therefore unable to see his hand in anything. Others look at the same evidence and see God everywhere. And believe it or not, some can't even see the hand of God in things that no one would attempt to explain naturally. Things undeniably supernatural and miraculous. That was certainly made obvious in the raising of Lazarus. For in his raising, some saw a demonstration of the glory of God and others never saw it. You know, Jesus had said Lazarus' sickness would not end in his death, but would bring glory to God and to his son. And for those with eyes to see, for believers, it did happen. We're in the 11th chapter of John, our third message from this account. Jesus, therefore, again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you, if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And so they removed the stone. And Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou heardest me. And I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people standing around, I said it, that they may believe that thou didst send me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. He who had died came forth bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Now we have just read the account of one of the most spectacular events in history. And the Bible tells of it in only seven verses. Talk about understatement. In this event... Without any hype, the glory of God was demonstrated for those who were willing to see it. Let's go over the details. 
Jesus was still in a very emotional state. He had been weeping, touched by the tears and the emotional pain of his friends, and was still deeply moved within when he arrived at the tomb. Now, the tomb, which John describes as a cave, may have actually been a natural cave, or it may have been a room of ledges carved into the hillside, specifically designed to hold bodies or bones. But either way, a large, round stone disc, probably set in a track, covered the entrance. When Jesus got there, he said, remove the stone. Now, Martha probably thought he wanted to view the body of his friend. But she cautioned him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he's been dead four days. I really like the way the King James Version puts it. Lord, by this time he stinketh. (laughs) No, she didn't have any idea what Jesus was about to do, in spite of the fact that he had said, this sickness is not unto death, and your brother will rise again, And I am the resurrection and the life. So Jesus said to her, did I not say to you, if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Now, I don't think he's suggesting he would do nothing if she didn't believe he could raise the dead. I don't believe his action in this instance was contingent upon her belief. Now, there were times when he made faith a condition before doing something miraculous, but but not this time. He was going to raise Lazarus whether she believed he could do it or not. And everyone present, believers and unbelievers alike, would see him do it. But only believers would see in it the glory of God. Now Martha would see it. Because she was a believer. She didn't know what Jesus was going to do, but she did believe he was the Son of God. And since she believed him to be the Son of God, she would give glory to God for anything that Jesus would do. And even though she didn't know what was going to happen, she was ready for it. Her heart was prepared by her belief to see the glory of God. And they removed the stone. At that point, Jesus raised his eyes and prayed. Now, we've already read the prayer in the Elizabethan English. The older editions, the New American Standard uh, used when addressing Deity and Tina loved so much. Thinking it more reverent, but let's read it now from the NIV. Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, why did Jesus pray aloud? Well, he did so to make certain that God would get the glory for what was about to happen. He wasn't doing this by himself, and he didn't want it to appear that he was. This was being done for the glory of God and that the Son of God would be glorified by it. He then cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Now again, he wasn't shouting to wake up the dead. It was for the sake of those present that he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. He was calling their attention to the open tomb 
And as they looked, Lazarus came forth, still bound in his grave clothes. Now, what a scene that must have been. And I'm sure everyone just stood there gawking until Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. Then after the initial shock wore off, I imagine the believers had a wonderful time praising God and rejoicing in what, you, what, what, what he had done. Can't you, can't you then imagine the questions that were being asked of Lazarus and the stories that he had to tell? I'm sure he could have written a bestseller, you know, Life After Death, Four Days in the Tomb. <laughs> and it would have been a true story. The most important thing, however, was that they had seen the glory of God. They had seen what God can do, and that God can do what no man could do. The believers knew that Jesus was the Son of God, and they were able to accept what he had done for what it was, a tremendous demonstration of God's power and glory. But believers weren't the only ones to witness what Jesus had done. Some who had been unbelievers had seen it and were changed into believers by what they had seen because the glory of God is convincing for converts. Let's read on. Many, therefore, of the Jews who had come to Mary and beheld what he had done believed in him some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. Some were changed by what they saw. Their minds and hearts were open to conversion. And when they saw what happened, they believed. Now, what they believed, we can't be sure. And how deep their belief, we don't know. But it appears that they had come to Bethany without faith in Jesus, and now they believed in him. And their belief was probably the same as Martha's. They now believed that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, who was to come into the world. They had witnessed something no man could do. They must have concluded that Jesus was God in the flesh. Now, that still happens today. Some people look around and see things that no man can do or could have done and conclude there must be a God. They give credit to God, glory to God, for what they see. And the Apostle Paul confirmed that this is not only possible but likely if people are open to the possibility of God. In Romans 1.20, Paul wrote that since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made. It's there to see. If people will keep an open mind, they will be able to see the glory of God, and it will draw them to faith in him. But if they have ruled out the possibility of a God, they will always seek another explanation 
for what they've seen or ignore it altogether. You know, some who witnessed the resurrection of Lazarus went to the Pharisees and told them what happened. Now, why they went to them, we don't know. I doubt that they went in the hopes of changing their attitudes about Jesus or converting them. They probably just wanted the Pharisees to know what Jesus was up to. What they had seen had no effect on them, and they didn't expect it to make any difference to the Pharisees. You know, you'd think that a man coming to life after four days in the tomb, still wrapped in linens and maybe even smelling of decay, would have had an effect. But Jesus had already said that even if someone rising from the dead would not convince people, would not convince everyone. In his story of the rich man and another character named Lazarus, Abraham had responded to the rich man's request for him to send someone from the dead to warn his brothers about the horrors of judgment. And he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. Now, Jesus was primarily speaking of his own resurrection here. But the resurrection of Lazarus certainly illustrated the truth of that statement. And even today, 2,000 years after the resurrection of Jesus, those who refuse to acknowledge the supernatural will not be convinced, even if someone has risen from their dead. The response, however, is seldom solely an intellectual one. Most simply do not want to change, and they don't want others to change either, because the glory of God is hindered by the status quo. Therefore, the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council and were saying, what are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But a certain one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you take into account that it is expedient for you that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation should not perish. Now this he did not say on his own initiative, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but that he might also gather together into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they planned together to kill him. The chief priests and the Pharisees got together. They called a, a quick meeting and raised the question, what are we doing? Why are we doing something about this man? He's performing way too many miracles. Everyone will believe in him if we don't stop him. Apparently, they didn't even consider the possibility that Jesus might actually be the Messiah. They saw his signs, but they didn't want to believe what the signs signified. Their only concern was that belief in Jesus would change the status quo. 
If people believed him to be the Messiah, change would be inevitable, and the changes would be huge. The Romans, fearing the messianic dreams of the Jews, would most likely clamp down on them, and the Jewish rulers would undoubtedly lose their symbolic positions and their places of authority. The Romans might even destroy the ultimate place of their authority, the temple, and with it, the Jewish nation. Ironically, by the time John recorded these events, <laughs> the Romans had already destroyed the temple. Now, had the Jewish leadership accepted the spiritual kingdom that Jesus had come to establish, if they had become Christians, the Romans may have never had a reason to destroy the temple. But they didn't want to believe anything that would force them to change. And they didn't want to lose their positions of authority over others if they changed and started thinking for themselves. So Caiaphas, the high priest, took control of the meeting. And in the typical brash and condescending manner of a Sadducee, he declared that the others didn't understand the gravity of the situation nor the obvious solution. His proposal was simple. They would sacrifice Jesus to save the nation and to keep things the way they were. Now his plan didn't turn out exactly as he had expected, but it did fulfill God's plan. In fact, John notes that what Caiaphas said really didn't come from him, it came from God. God was speaking through his high priest even though the priest didn't really understand what he was saying or where it would lead. He thought he could keep people from seeing the glory of God by killing Jesus. But what he actually did was set the stage for the greatest demonstration ever of God's glory, the death and resurrection of his son. And without realizing it, he had actually prophesied that through Jesus' death, the nation would soon include Gentiles. Through his death, all the children of God, Jew and Gentile alike, would be brought into one spiritual kingdom. Ultimately, Caiaphas wasn't able to keep things the way they had been. But those who want to do so in their lives and the lives of others will do everything they can to hinder the glory of God from being seen. And it's certainly amazing how far some will go to discredit God and try to keep others from seeing the hand of God in this world. Those who want to live as they choose with no God over them, not only buy into evolutionary philosophies that elevate man to the position of God, but they do everything they can to indoctrinate the masses with their godless philosophies. And sometimes they succeed in keeping the glory of God hidden from the masses. This is something we fear that is taking place all too often in our educational system today. Jesus, therefore, no longer continued to walk publicly among the Jews, but went away from there to the country near the wilderness into a city called Ephraim, and there he stayed with the disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up to Jerusalem out of the country before the Passover to purify themselves. 
Therefore they were seeking for Jesus and were saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think, that he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it, that they might seize him. The Jews wanted to kill Jesus, but it wasn't quite time for that to happen. So he left Jerusalem and traveled to Ephraim. Now, we're not 100% sure of Ephraim's location, but most scholars believe it was a village about 15 miles northeast of Jerusalem on the edge of the Judean wilderness. And if the authorities had come looking for him, he would be able to slip into the wilderness and evade them. The council's action, orders that Jesus be seized, forced him out of the public arena. Now, it didn't make possible a few last days alone with his disciples, but it also meant he was not as accessible to the people. The Passover was at hand. The streets of Jerusalem were filling up with pilgrims, and Jesus was the talk of the town. People were looking for him, wondering if he would come to the feast. They knew the authorities had labeled him a criminal, but they also knew that others believed him to be the Son of God. What were the masses to think? There was a lot of talk about him. But it was hard for the people to understand and discover the truth about him. Jesus and the truth about him was basically hidden from the masses. The architects of the day's society had forced him into hiding. And they were doing everything they could to keep the people from seeing in him the glory of of God. I'm afraid that is true in our day as well. You know, those who want to maintain the status quo and hold positions of influence over the masses want to keep Jesus hidden. For when the glory of God is seen in his Son, everything changes. Now, someday, Every eye will see the glory of God. But until then, it will remain hidden from the masses and only those who diligently seek after Jesus will see it. So are you willing to risk having to make big changes in your life? Is seeing the glory of God in his Son worth the cost to you? If it is, it's there to see. The glory of God can be seen in nature. What do you see in a sunrise, in a sunset, in the clouds, in the storms, in the lightning, in the thunder? Do you see the glory of God? Or do you see Mother Nature? whatever she is. The glory of God can be seen in the word of God. Do you read it? Norma's reading it every year. Are you reading it? And are you looking for the glory of God in the Old Testament as well as the New? There's some amazing things to find in God's word if you'll take time to read it and to think about it. Obviously, the glory of God can be seen supremely in his Son. 
Not only what Jesus did while walking on earth for 30 years, but primarily in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. You know, only in his coming again will there be a greater demonstration of the glory of God. Don't wait until then to see it. If you believe, you will see the glory of God. And by looking back to an empty tomb, you can see it 